Hi, and welcome to the Black and White Podcast. I'm Denise Pass, along with my co-host, Angela Donadio, and this week we are continuing the conversation with Caleb Kaltenbach, discussing his book, Messy Grace, How a Pastor with Gay Parents Learned to Love Others Without Sacrificing Conviction. Caleb Kaltenbach is a pastor, founder of the Messy Grace Group, and the author of Messy Grace and God of Tomorrow. He speaks widely on issues of faith, reconciliation, and sexual diversity. Caleb is a graduate of Talbot School of Theology, Biola University, and received his doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary. He and his wife, Amy, have two young children and reside in Southern California. Guys, this book is so needed today, and it is such a great resource. And I think there are some stumbling blocks uh, that you mentioned in your book, Caleb, about uh, biblical illiteracy or self-righteousness and judgmentalism. Can you explain these stumbling blocks and help us understand how we overcome these stumbling blocks and how we can help other Christians too as well? I think that, uh, number one, biblical illiteracy, I think that the average Christian um, doesn't know the Bible very well. Um, you know, it, we struggle to know John three sixteen. Um, you know, when back in Jesus's day, by the, if you were a good Jewish boy or girl, by the time you were fifteen or sixteen, you had the entire Old Test, uh, first five books of the Old Testament memorized, mm-hmm. word for word, mm-hmm. like everything. And if you wanted to be a rabbi or a Pharisee, you would have to have the rest of the Old Testament memorized. And so they, they knew the Bible. I feel like we don't. Um, and I think that um, Bible memorization has really gone out the window. Mm. And yet that's one of the things that I love to do. I remember in Bible college, some of the tests that I used to have to take um, – you know, it wasn't a test in the traditional college sense, but we had to like memorize Romans one, Romans uh, nine and ten, or eleven and twelve, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we had to write that out from memory. And I still remember that. Um, you know, so I think that uh, biblical illiteracy is huge, and, and biblical illiteracy is why some people say, "Well, God, you know." hates the person or God says that we should do this and everything. And look, biblical literacy is not just knowing the Bible. It's not knowing the context as well. Mm, that's true. It's like when, when somebody tries to initiate, it's like when a church tries to initiate church discipline and which I think we should have church discipline, but they try to follow the letter of the law as Paul has written in first Corinthians chapter five, when he says, expel the immoral brother. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mm -hmm. You do realize that Paul was talking to a specific church. It's about 40 people with a specific situation. And you're trying to take that exact same thing and apply it to your church of 1000 people. You Mm -hmm. can't Mm -hmm. now. Are there principles there? Absolutely. There are. But to try to follow the letter of the law, that's biblical literacy when you don't understand the historical or literary context. And that allows us to mistreat the situation, to not see the gravity of it and what's at mm-hmm. stake, or to treat people harshly. And as far as self-righteousness and judgmentalism, I can't remember if it was Denise or Angela, but one of you two said that you think that uh, self-evaluation is important, and I couldn't agree more. I agree with you 100%. I think it is so much easier to hold up the 
magnifying glass to other people mm-hmm. instead of looking at the mirror of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? That's so true. You know, both of these areas are so critical, Caleb, as a frame around how we minister to others, like you're saying. And if we don't know what the Bible says, we can't operate in truth. We're operating in opinion. We're operating in misrepresentation of the scripture. I think about Moses when um, God told him to speak to the rock and he struck the rock and he lost the promised land over that situation, which seemed harsh at the time, but he misrepresented what God said to the people. And that's what he's asking of us is that we are to be salt and light. We are to represent what he said, who who Jesus truly is. And if our motives are tainted by self-righteousness, then we're not able to operate in grace. Oof, I, I sense revival happening here. <laughs> I think we're done here now. <laughs> That's so good, so good. I think uh, the core issue is that we've forgotten the grace we've mm-hmm. been given. And we expect unbelievers to behave like Christians. Yeah. And we, we judge them. And it's like, wait, we're supposed to be reaching them, not judging them. I mean, how do we expect them to behave, right? I mean, I think, like, Paul, can we speak persuasively? with compassion. When I think of someone accepting a label because of their struggle, it grieves my heart. Mm. I would not want to be defined by my weakness. Hey, I could have a billion labels, y'all. You know, so Caleb, how can we identify with them in their struggles as people who also still have to overcome sin and struggles in the flesh? Um, Well, I think, number one, going back to the self-evaluation point, we have to understand how awful and bad we are at the core Mm -hmm. and we have to hold we have to hold up the mirror to ourselves Um, i think there's a reason why when jesus gave the model prayer in matthew 6 um, the lord's prayer i think there's a reason why he says forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us number one there's a reason why jesus linked repentance and forgiveness of other people so closely together Mm. in Matthew six twelve, But at the same time, I think that repentance should be a spiritual discipline. It should be something that we do every day. Mm. It's something that, that, that keeps us humble. Mm. It's something that, keep, that keeps us depending on God. And I don't think that our relationship with God will ever grow to what it can be if we don't depend on Him. Mm. Because, I mean, you know, think about it real quick. Do you ever ever trust someone you rarely depend on Mm. no and one of the reasons why our relationship with god here in america is not as strong as it is in in middle eastern countries and um, uh, places like india indonesia china north korea the reason why faith is not as strong is because what do we have to depend on god for here in america true we can go to mcdonald's uh here or in canada or wherever and get uh hamburger for less than 60 cents and mm. you know so i mean we can get you not have a lot of money or any money and still get food so how in the world are we going to depend on god that's why christianity is just a facet of people's lives instead that's of being people's lives and that's so i true. think that part of the way that we can really um depend on god is by admitting our own frailty admitting admitting our own sinfulness uh, depending on him to share him in a relationship, to be generous, to develop our character. Um, and, and part of that is 
when we do depend on God, when we're honest about who we are, we'll be more sympathetic and compassionate mm-hmm. with other people. Um, the second thing I would say is it's all about empathy, like what we were talking about. And then just to reiterate, just the last part, a little bit of our little conversation there. Um, it's always been easy, as I love what Andy Stanley says. He says that it has always been easier to make a point instead of making a difference. <laughs> it's okay. easier for us to be right and to be correct than it is for me to say, I'm not interested as much as being right in someone else's eyes or making a point as I am in making a difference and earning the influence to speak into somebody's life so I can so I can point them to Jesus Christ. That's to so me, good. That yeah. is the key. That's so good, Caleb. There's so many things. I'm going to go back and listen to this and write down so many things you're saying are so incredibly insightful. I have a 19 and a 21-year-old. She just turned 22. And I'm just thinking, you know, I really want them to read your book as well, just because there's so much you're saying that is so needed in today. Another uh, friend of mine says something similar to what you just said. We can either be right or we can do right. And so when we're trying to win an argument, are we really trying to exactly that? Are we trying to win an argument and be right? Or are we trying to do right? And if we stay in a posture of humility and repentance, then we get off of our high horse a whole lot quicker because we understand that we are constantly in need of God's mercy. And, you know, we all struggle with temptation. My temptation, my struggle may not be the same as Denise's or the same as yours, Caleb, but we all struggle with temptation and some struggle with same-sex attraction. But the Bible is clear that we are offered a way of escape and we don't have to live as victims of temptation. And we can identify with the pain of temptation. Like you said, having empathy, even if ours is a different struggle than we see someone else going through. Amen. I guess all my heart is, Caleb, can you share the main arguments that the LGBT community would have and how a Christian should counter that argument in a way with empathy and truth. So I'm basically wanting to equip our listeners when some of those main arguments are spoken from the LGBT, how should a Christian respond? I'll try to list a couple of them if that's helpful. Um, Yeah. You know, one thing people will say is they'll say um, some Christians will immediately go to the big five verses or passages in the Bible on homosexuality. There's two in Leviticus and then three that the Apostle Paul mentions, Mm -hmm. uh, the word or the idea of homosexuality. And while I believe that all of those verses are inspired, when I talk to somebody about sexuality, I rarely go to those verses. And here's why. Okay, it's not because I don't believe that they're true. It's because um, people who are really invested and involved in the LGBTQ community have already been given pat answers to those mm-hmm. verses. And so when you bring up those verses, they immediately, you know, have an answer or something like that. And plus, in Leviticus, a lot of people don't understand um, you know, the, the meaning of the Old Testament to a Christian. The Old Testament is extremely important to me, okay? But the Old Testament uh, has no bearing on my life because, I mean, it does have a bearing, but I'm not held to its consequences anymore mm-hmm. because I'm under grace, because I have the Holy Spirit. Um, 
And people don't understand that there were three parts of the law as we look at it, the 613 commands. Mm -hmm. There was the ceremonial law, the civil law, and then um, there was the moral law. And so people don't know how to divide those up. Mm-hmm. And so when we you know, bring up uh, the two verses in Leviticus, that just gets tossed to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, what I usually do is I usually bring up what Jesus said about marriage and divorce in Matthew 19. Because in Matthew 19, Jesus quotes Genesis 1, 27 mm-hmm. and 2, 24, mm-hmm. where he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother be united with his wife and the two will become one. And really when he says that, what happens is, uh, you know, some people say, well, I don't believe in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I think that they're just metaphor and I'll say, okay, that's fine. But even if that is true, those verses that Jesus quoted, number one, he quoted them as if they were history. Number two, they are still representative of the earliest of the Israelite community's understanding of sexuality mm. and how God designed it. And not only do you see Jesus quoting Genesis one twenty seven and 2.24, you see the Apostle Paul quoting it and referring to it, especially in Ephesians 5, when he makes a comparison between Christ and his bride, the church, and a husband and a wife. Mm. And so um, with that, we see that that God does have a place for uh, sexual intimacy within a relationship. You know, another passage that I'll turn to is uh, the one that was read at the beginning of this, uh, you know, podcast. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, you were bought with a price. Mm. Your body is temple of the Holy Spirit. Honor honor God with your body. You know, so, I mean, that's that's mm. one thing that I'll do when people have had answers to the big quote unquote five verses or passages of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing that I'll, that I'll, you know, that sometimes they'll say is they'll say something like, you know, well, in the first century, um, they didn't understand monogamous same sex relationships. That's one thing that, uh, you know, I've, I've had a couple of debates, you know, like at Biola university and other places and they'll bring that up as well. They'll say, nowhere in the first century does it say anything about a monogamous, same-sex loving relationship. And I'm like, um, you know, in a kind way, I basically say you're a crack smoker. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, because, because there, there, are, there are plenty of examples. Even Plato in the Republic mm. quotes that. Um, you, you can go back as far back as the Ming Dynasty in China, and you see this. You see first century Roman and Greek poets and playwrights mm. talking about monogamous same-sex relationships. Um, so that doesn't work. Um, but I think another thing that I've noticed that um, uh, apologists for uh, same-sex relationships in the LGBTQ community will do is they will really appeal to story and they will really tug on the heartstrings of story. And so what I try to get people to realize is that what they're trying to do there is when they, when they don't have the biblical understanding or they don't care about it, they can still capture people's attention and their hearts with story. And we're still trying to argue via logic, but at the same time, 
I think that we do have to understand that people, that Jesus told stories all the time to be able to make his point, to teach people. And I think that we need to do that as well, because let's just come down to it. For a lot of us, the biblical part of this is, hey, it's logical. That's what the Bible says. But overall, this is an emotional issue for us. Mm-hmm. It's an emotional issue for people who are same-sex attracted. It's an emotional issue for people who have friends and family members who are in same-sex relationships. It's kind of like I don't believe that there, that people have a logical reason to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. There's more uh, logical reasons to be a, uh, to believe in an intelligent designer, to believe in a creator. And when you really press atheists, there are a lot of them who will just be honest and you keep on digging and you'll find out that somewhere in their history, they felt like God let them down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They felt like something was taken away. It's emotional. And we will never, listen, we will never be able to break through to somebody's heart if we just rely on spouting off verses. We have to get down to the emotional level mm-hmm. of people. Yes. And, you know, I think it's understanding the character of God Mm. and his goodness. And so often people try to just say the religion of it, right? These are the rules. This is what God said. And and people rebel against that, you know, but if they understand how good our God is and why, you know, what are the reasons behind the laws, the commandments that he gives is it's out of love, you know, and, and sometimes we don't want I think all of us struggle with not wanting our flesh to be confined in one way or another. But when we understand the character of God, you know, that's where the obedience comes in. And so I really appreciate having you here today, Caleb. You know, it's helping us. You know, we can acknowledge the struggles of the LGBT community and of Christians, but we don't want to compromise God's word. And so we're seeking to be able to have these conversations in a way that I hope is redeeming. And so uh, for our listeners, we're also going to have on the post on the website uh, some resources for you to be able to navigate these discussions when people say, well, Paul said it, Jesus didn't say it, or, mm-hmm. you know, different, you know, discussions that come up that are really not the main issue. And as you were saying, Caleb, to be able to, to share and empathize and share stories and the heart of God is really what we need to get to. So the raw truth today is that none of us are righteous on our own. The radical grace is that God covers all of our sins. And the real hope is that one day we will no longer struggle in the flesh. Praise God. But for now, God can help us to overcome. You've been listening to the Black and White Podcast, where we filter life through the Bible and live life in the freedom of truth. (laughs) 